and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. What a week in the Tri-State, everyone. Seton Hall served notice. They are back. After back-to-back wins over ranked teams, Seton Hall almost climbed into the top 25 this week. If you count them all out, they end up at 34. They did receive 34 votes overall. So the national media is taking notice of what the Pirates are doing, beating three ranked teams this season, beating two ranked teams in a week, beating two top 10 teams this season. The Pirates are hot. We'll get to them in a bit. They aren't the only hot team. St. John's also went 2-0 with wins over Butler. And then at Villanova, the first time they won at the Finneran Pavilion in 31 years. UConn goes 2-0. How about a gritty road win at Butler, right? Fairfield is hot. Eight straight games. One of the hottest teams in the country. And St. Peter's is 4-0. The only lone unbeaten team in MAC play. And Princeton just keeps rolling as they hammered Harvard and a career night for Xavier Lee. So lots to talk about on this second full week of January 2024. But we begin with the Seton Hall Pirates who have gotten the attention of the national media since Big East play began. And let me just say this. Reports of Seton Hall's death have been greatly exaggerated. The Pirates are tied atop of the Big East standings at 3-1, and one, right where everyone thought they'd be, right? Through the first four games. They're tied with UConn, St. John's, Villanova. It's a four-way tie for first place as we begin this week. And oh, by the way, maybe you saw these nuggets, maybe you didn't. They're one of only six teams in the country who have at least two wins over top 10 teams this season. The others are Purdue, Kansas, UConn, Kentucky, and North Carolina that own multiple wins over top 10 teams. So it is my pleasure to welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, the starting center for those Seton Hall Pirates, Jaden Bediaco. Jaden, how are you doing today? Appreciate it, Brian. I'm good. Good and happy to be here. Yeah, happy new year. And and uh, the Pirates are really playing well. I want to talk about this uh, Marquette game, first of all. You dug yourselves a little bit of a hole early on, down 10. It's 23-13. Coach is trying to find some guys who, as he put it in his post-game press conference, you know, want to play, bring some energy, and he brought the bench in there. You know, from your perspective, uh, what went wrong to the slow start? You're down 10. And how were you able to get back in the game? Um, I really think um... – I think for some parts of the season, what we had, we were trying to have a feel and coach throughout the season talked about we got to hit first, though. So I feel it was one of those games where, like, I guess we were feeling them out and we got we got punched instead of doing the punching. Um, but um, he, he cleaned up a couple things. Our bench guys came in, gave some great minutes, though. And then once that got rolling, then we kept, then we got confident again and uh, took the ball. It's kind of similar how we had the UConn game, how we first, you know, dug ourselves in a hole and then a little bit of Providence. So. We just really got to get better at punching first, though. But um, we got punched first, and but we responded. How resilient have you seen this team to be through this this entire season? Uh, very resilient. You know, we, from day one, Coach Shaw believed this team could go somewhere. Um, you know, all the media stuff beforehand uh, was kind of writing us off and stuff. He didn't. He doesn't look at that. He tells us, don't look at the media stuff. Just every the most important guys. Right now, just the guys in the gym, our managers, our assistant coaches, our GAs, our the players, the coaching staff. Um, so you know, we we did take some punches um, throughout the season earlier on, but um, I guess the break was kind of good to recharge, resettle, and enter the new year with a new mind. And it's a whole new season, right? Because you play this three seasons. You have the non-conference season, then you got the conference season, and then you got postseason. So. Um, I feel like our heads are in the right spot right now. And, you know, we're just believing in us. And, but it's still early, though. Very early still. So, yeah. And, and and as you know, you know, every game matters. You play 20 of these conference games. They're all individual wars. Um, take me back to that game following Rutgers. 
right? Uh, I'm going to say it's the low point of the season, whatever you want to call it, right? The team's five and four on December 9th. And, you know, I'm sure the fans are down. You guys are certainly down. And yet before the break happens, before the New Year's comes, how were you able to find the switch? What was the mentality of the team or what were you guys able to find uh, moving that point forward, especially in that Missouri game that you were able to carry over into Big East play? Yeah, I think, yeah, you could argue the Rutgers game could have been a low point. Um, we got hit. That was a big rivalry game. You know, we, I think at that point we were 0-3 against high majors. So um, it was, it, it was, we were like, I, I don't know, I felt pretty down bad about that. And um it was just tough, but I think we just went back to the drawing board. Like, honestly, we watched film, went through, we had great practices leading up to the Missouri game and stuff. And it's always, guys are ready to play. Guys have always been ready to play. But I guess one thing you got to give it to our group, too. I think last year they lost about six or five guys, and they brought in about, you know, five, six new guys, though. So I think in those areas, we were still, we were still trying to figure each other out, though. You know, we're still trying to, how do I play with this guy? How do I play with this guy? What does he like his feel? You know, obviously practice is there for that, though, when we're going up against each other but in game then it's in real time. So I want to say we were still maybe figuring each other out still, but, um, but we, all, but we all bought in though. We've all been bought in since day one. We all want the greater good for this team. And obviously the saying is, you know, if the team wins, everyone wins. And um, I believe that, I believe that really hundred percent heartedly. As a person who follows this team very closely, I I've noticed a difference in the defense. I've noticed a team that that is is not giving up threes as early as they were as, as you know, they were earlier in the season. Uh, I see a team that's connected. I, I see a team that that is battling every possession um, is is part of it. Your homework, uh, you know, you needed time to develop chemistry defensively. Uh, is it just, you know, you're 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 following the scouting report more closely or you're you're finding a way to, uh, you know, connect as Shaw wants you to. What is it defensively? Am I wrong in saying this team is connected better defensively now? No, you're not wrong. I think everything you said, it has um, helped us improve. Um, obviously, paying way better attention detail to personnel, scout. Um, and like I said before, too, we have so many new guys, though. So we all coming from, like, different defensive systems and stuff like that. So... You know, obviously, this is the way college basketball is now with transfers and freshmen. So now it's like you got to, like, put everything together and try to get the ball rolling. You only got, like, a couple months with these guys. And then, you know, so. But, yeah, I would say, and we've seen it, too. Our coaches have literally pointed that, pointed that out to us all the time. Like, in our in our in in the games we have won, we choked down the three-point line. In the games we have lost, so we've given up a lot more. And you could attest that and when you saw, like, those losses we had early in the season, though. We were giving a lot of threes. But, um. Start some practice day one, coming with energy and stuff. Um, the older guys, the guys who have been here longer, have been helping me and some of the other guys, you know, find the rotations on defense and just communicating. So really practice, scouting detail, and we're starting to see the difference. Yeah, the the, the games we have won, though, like I said, the three, I think we gave up maybe at most maybe six or five threes or, or less. The games we have lost, though, it's been like maybe six plus or seven, you know. So yeah, I um, mean, we're starting to see the difference in there. You're going, listen, you're, you're battling big guys night in and night out. Uh, what has this been like for you? Not that you didn't go up against, against big guys out West when you were at Santa Clara, but you know, one night you're going up against Oso Iguodaro. The next night you might be going up against Josh Aduro, uh, Donovan Klingon. What has it been like for you to, uh, challenge yourself against these guys? Well, part of the reasons why I came to Seen Hall was, you know, I wanted a challenge, you know? Um, I played against some of these guys, you know, in my AU time, um, some guys on the national team. So, you know, just, but I was like, low, I was, I wasn't recruited as heavy as them. So mm -hmm. um, I, I knew some of them before and I'm like, yeah, like I can play in this league and I can show my stuff. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a battle really. Like, you know, it's like one day, like you said, one day you're playing clean. Cool. Next day. Oh, now I got to deal with Ogadaro. Oh, now I got to deal with Hedora. Now I got to deal with Soriano coming or Dixon. So, it's been it's it's been a challenge. Like compared to my old league, um, obviously, you know, you played every the teams were good in night in night out though. But I felt it was more like guard oriented or wing oriented. You, know, you had a couple of good big guys, but these guys here, it's it's a whole different beast. Um, but honestly, just 
prepping, practice, and, you know, just trying to learn from my film and my mistakes, you know, so I can just get better right now. Because honestly, right now, I feel like I have so much room to get better at this, you know, playing these other big guys and stuff. So just prep. That's all I can really say. Yeah. And, and, and it's paying off for you, Jaden. Um, the defensive stand that you had against Providence. Okay. Um, late in the game, you're up two. Mm -hmm. Providence yeah. has the ball, a chance to tie it up. And, and you probably know in your mind, they're going to try to get the ball down low to Josh Oduro. Um, it was fascinating watching you guys battle. And, you know, he's trying to get position in low post. You're trying to push him out of there all game. You made it challenging for him. Uh, take us through that last play that Oduro got the ball and, and you forced him into a miss. Right. Uh, I'm going to be so honest with you. I thought they were going to go to someone else, though. I kind of hoping when he was they weren't going to go to him. But okay, till that game was kind of rough for me. And later on, I picked it up. But it was rough. So they went to him. Obviously, the, I knew the scout report sort of later on now. Like, okay, where he's going to go and stuff. And I just had to wall up. And he took a shot. I contested it. He missed it. Dylan grabbed the rebound. Dylan got fouled. And it felt like like uh, I, I was holding clench my fist. I was like, amen. Thank God. So um, it was a big win for us there. And I think I think right now, I think they said in the past three seasons, we're two and one at Providence and everyone else in the Big East doesn't. It's not like it's it's hard to win up there. That's what I've been told. So, yeah, but it was it was good. He, was, he, he had a good he had a good game. Um, but, yeah, we but came you made out him work. You, you, I think you're being a little little too modest there. OK, you know, yes. What whatever he started out, maybe six for six. Yeah, And he was hot early on. But Sorry. after that point, I don't know what the final numbers were, but he might have been three for 15 after that. So so you made him work. And and even though he scored 20 points, that was a hard 20 points, Jaden. So, I, you know, you need to pat yourself on the back there. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, but um, like we talked about before, like there's so many good bigs day in, day out, though. So I just got to be better on that and consistently more. But, yeah, you know. I had the big stop in the game. That's what most guys have told me. So I kind of want that. And every every play matters. So then you go into Marquette and uh coach makes some changes, right? Dre Davis uh was a little ineffective according to coach, and he didn't play for long spurts. Kadari was in foul trouble, he didn't play for long spurts. Elijah Hutchins Everett got a lot of play in your replacement. So how critical was the bench play uh in that win over Marquette. Huge. It was it was huge. And, you know, I, I don't know if Coach always says this in the media, but he always tells us in practice, like, it's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Like, we, like I think, yeah, we got, like, I think five more games left in this month and more in February and then I think two or three in March and then conference play or conference tournament. The, we need the bench. Like, we need them every day, day in, day out, though. They, 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 they help us, you know. You can't really just go five guys deep and – and roll into Big East play, thinking you're going to come out like top three in the league. Nah, it takes everyone, though. And credit to those guys. They work their butts off in practice. They stay ready, and they're ready when the number's called, and they come and produce and give energy. That's why I kind of figure out with Coach Shaw. He's more of like an energy guy, really. Like, who's going to come give me energy? Who's going to play hard, you know? That's what he had at St. Peter's when he was an assistant coach here at Seton Hall, you know, just finding those guys. So they're really huge for us. We need them every day, and they've been helping us. They've been helping a lot of helping me get better in practice and my post area defense and a little bit of my offense. And they challenge us. So those guys are equally important to us, to the starters, like like to the team, like us. Yeah, I, I've heard practices with with Shaheen are are you know intense and and very detailed. You know how hard are you guys? You, you've alluded to it. How hard you guys are working? Give us an idea of of what some of these practices are like. Yeah, they're uh, full of energy, and yes, they are intense. These are probably the most intense practices I had in a while. So, uh, I just think that though they're very physical, but uh, he, he he does some teaching too to it too. You know, it's not like you know he, he teaches. You know, we make a mistake. You know, he corrects it, and then you know it just helps us just knowing where he's coming from too. Like I said, for most of us, it's like a new system, a new defensive system. So we're all just trying to. Figure it out though, and seeing and and our and our offense too, showing us what he's trying to look for in the offense. So um, they've they've been great though. They're very and they're very competitive too. You know, also very competitive. Like we were almost playing like every day against each other, like five on five. You know, every day, which is good though. You know, you gotta play. 
So you can do you can do it in the game. That's what he's always been saying. What you, you practice is supposed to be harder. So when the game comes, not that the game won't be hard too, but it will be a little bit more. It'll be less intense because you've done the work in practice, you know. So, and I think yeah. we're seeing that, you know, whether it's Malachi Brown coming in and giving a, a huge lift against Mammoth and Isaiah Coleman having his career high in that game, uh, you know, your partner Elijah Hutchins Everett, man, he had he had two big buckets in that Marquette game, one in the first Dude. half with the with the shot clock winding down, right, and he's spinning around and going in the lane and throws it up. I think it was left handed and one. And then late in the game, I think it was Kadari who finds him on a driver. Dawes, I mean, he got he got whacked in the head. Officials aren't calling it, and he finishes through contact. Uh, ends up with six points. But man, you needed every one of those. What what a game from from uh, Hutchins Everett. No, that was great. No, like you said, those two big buckets. So I've been telling like after the game, I told him like, "Yo, your buckets, especially the one where you, you dunked it and you got fouled, but they didn't call it. Right. That was huge because that put us up by two, I think." So. Now, he played well and huge for us, though. And I always say, like, listen, if, I, if I'm if i struggling, I need you to pick me up. Because sometimes watching you play and you play well, then it's like, okay, I got to go and replicate that. So, you know, he, that's that's my guy right there. That's my guy and that's my partner, you know. So, you know, we uh, we don't really care who plays, you know, the bulk of the minutes. So we just try to help the team and stuff and, you know, find our way. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy and excited for him. And obviously, you know, like I said, I'm going to need him throughout the season. I'm going to need him. No question. And and Seton Hall hasn't had, uh, you know, a couple of centers like this in, in a few years. You know, you'd, you'd have to go back a few years when they had uh, Romaro Gill and Ike Obiago for a couple of stretches. And it's nice to have two big guys in there for 40 minutes, knowing that you're going to go through the wars. So, Jaden, when you're in these games, right, and you got to feel out the officials, um, it seemed like there were a lot of things that they don't call. And from a fan's perspective or a media's perspective, if we see it, you guys feel it. How do you stay focused and not let the officials, you know, dictate how you play or change the way you play? Uh, my teammates, man, my teammates. That's why we huddle a lot. You know, sometimes, you know, I might pick up a cheap early one or, you know, something happens, but that's why we got to huddle those so we can talk about what's going on and, you know, how they're refereeing. Coach also says to, you know, when we went to Providence, I remember saying, you know, see how the officials will, like, just kind of feel it out, though. But honestly, there has been no change, though, really. Like, I can't, I can't name a game out of the four games where I had to play, like, like oh, I got like, I can't really do this. Like, I, I think I've seen most of it right now in the first four plays of the East, though. It's physical. Guys are grabbing. They're not calling. You might get whacked. They're not going to call it. It is what it is, you know? So they're so, letting you play. The, the, the officials maybe in, in the Big East are letting you play more physical than they do out West. Is that is that true? Oh, that's a thousand percent true. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna lie to you. Out west, sometimes, like, I even one of the guys who went out west to California. I'm like, I don't know. You just be careful because you could touch a guy, they might blow the whistle out west, though. Playing in the West Coast, yeah. And I think I read articles too when I was in call when I was at my first couple of years at Santa Clara. Like, um, articles came out about like, you know, why is the whistle blowing more out west than it is out east? You know, I'll never know the answer to that, but you know, it was just I had to adapt to that too. I like. When I first came, I had to adapt to like, okay, they're going to let us play with it. So I got to, you know, I can't be worried about picking up a foul or like can't worry about like, oh, I can't touch the gun. No, you could, and unless they call it, if they call it, you adjust to it, which is just, okay, just one minor thing, okay, I'll adjust to it. It's just, you can't, I can't, you can't lose your head. You know, it can't be a chicken with your head cut off when like, oh, they blow one or two fouls and you're like mentally messed up. Right, right. Well, listen, it seems like you guys have each other's back. And like you said, even if you're not playing well, uh, Hutchins ever can come in. And, and when you are playing well, this team is a lot better defensively, uh, a lot more connected. You have a knack for rebounding. Three times this year, you've had 11 rebounds. And you're one of the top offensive rebounding centers in the country. What is your secret to rebounding? Not, not that we're going to tell the whole world here, Jaden, but, you know, how do you attack the, the, the glass on both ends? Well, well, I'm not going to – I can't be Dennis Robin and tell you, like, I look at how this guy shoots and where the ball bounces here and stuff like that. Um, just being in the right position, right time, and um, being physical. You know, I think one great thing about this league, it's like it's physical. So, you know, you can work for position to get for an offensive glass, really. And, you know, that's where, you know, I kind of hang my hat on there too, you know. 
Like, I kind of, like, I think at this point in the season, guys kind of know their roles and stuff like that. You know, I kind of know my role, really. So I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I just embrace it and just do it, you know. That's what it is. It's it's wanting it. I, I think rebounding is is effort, uh, will, and and you know, listen, you're a strong guy. You're a st- what, what, do you do you think that, you know, you're one of the stronger guys out there, and 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 you play to that strength. Yeah, for sure, I do. You know, I know if people look at me and they they eye test, like maybe I don't have that, but when I play guys and even practice, they say, yeah, you're stronger than you look. Though I'm like, yeah, it's just okay. it is what it is. So yeah, no, but also too. I like rebound the offensive glass a lot too more because it feels like it's like it's like four points almost. You know, it's like two points to get the rebound and then another two points if you put it back in or if you kick it out to a team. And I think that's how the best three, one of the best one of the best ways to get threes is you know, offense rebound, kick out, boom, wide open three. So I feel like it's like a four point play almost in my in my own head. Like, you know, I did two things well. I got my rebound, I scored it or I kicked it out. We get possession, we score. That's that feels like four points to me. Sure, sure. Um, one more question about the the Marquette game, and then and then I want to look ahead to this week, Jaden. Uh, the way Al Dawes played in that game, you know, he he's had a a roller coaster season, to put it mildly. He's had some games where he's been way off, and he's had some games where uh, he's scored twenty points a few times this season. How how happy are you to see that ball go through the net for him and and his hard work pay off? I'm great, man. I'm like very happy for Al because, you know, me and Al are both, uh, me and Al, we're the same. I think we're the only guys left from the 2019 recruiting class. We both started at different schools. I think I played Al uh, in an EYBL game. We played for NJ players. I played for you, play Canada. Okay. So I do remember, I do remember seeing him and uh, he's been great. You know, he's been one of the more, he's been probably the most welcome face I seen when I first like came on campus during the summer and stuff like that. Um, I was trying to hang out. And no, I'm happy for him, man. Like, he puts a lot of work into it, though. And, like, our team gets going because of that, too. You know, you could say, you know, when he gets going, he gets going. He goes, yeah, but when Al gets going, too, that helps us a lot. Missouri got going, helped us a lot. UConn, you know. So he's a big part of our offense. And, you know, uh, we're going to really need him, you know. I'm not going to say even, like, score 20 a game. But, you know, to be one of our best – we'd be one of the best shooters in the, in the league for, for us to keep rolling how we're rolling, though. But he does a great job, man, and I'm very happy for him. And, you know, still though, so there's more great basketball to come. And, like, I think Coach Shop said it best. We're not even playing our best basketball right now. We still make mistakes, but we're not even playing our best basketball. But that's what he's excited for a lot. Our best basketball is even more yet to come. Yeah, so now how are you going to deal with this success? Right now you're dealing with success. People are talking about you. You're getting national attention, and you have a week ahead where you have two – Challenging Big East road games at Georgetown, a quick turnaround, and at Butler. So what is this team's mindset going into the Georgetown game? Physicality. Uh, that's what we've been told so far in scouts. They're just very physical. You know, obviously, you've seen the league, and Ed Cooley, like guys who played Ed Cooley have said he's very physical. He's always asked guys why they're not – why um, why aren't we playing physical? So it's going to be like probably It's going to be a very physical game. Um, you know, we're kind of we're just blocking up the noise and just focus on here because it's the Big East game. You can't chalk up a one in the Big East until you actually play the game, you know, and that's the great thing about this league. And obviously, um, we're just trying to keep building the resume, you know, just trying to keep our quads and stuff clean. So, yeah, it's going to be a physical battle. Expect to see a physical battle on the backboard, in the post and um, on the perimeter. Going to be all physical. It's a, it's a road game, too. So, you know, we're like. Who knows? We might not get some calls on our benefits, though, but it doesn't really matter. We just got to play. And, and sort of right now, too, I think people, teams have us right now as a target now. So, you know, but we just got to come, like I said earlier in the in the interview, just we got to punch first. We got to strike first. And they're a good team. Like, despite their record, that's a very good, hard, physical playing team. And Butler's also great, too. And these are both road games. So it's going to be a war. Jaden, it's been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule before practice and uh, coming on and sharing your thoughts about the team, about their success, and about how they've been able to turn it around. So uh, continued success this year. Good luck at Georgetown, and we hope to talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. All right, that was Jaden Bediaco. Man, what a great interview. He is outstanding. Just giving you some insights into Seton Hall's practices. And look, we know this team has taken the lead from their head coach 
they now have an identity. They are taking on the identity of their head coach. Tough, gritty, in your face, never say die. That is what this Seton Hall team needs to do. It needs to start on the defensive end. And you heard it from Jaden. It's taken them time. It's taken a lot of these teams that have transfers and new players time to gel. Well, now it's January. We're getting toward, you know, conference play is heating up. We're three weeks into conference play. You better start gelling because if not, you're going to be in the bottom of this conference very soon. Just ask Kevin Willard at Maryland. Was that an unnecessary jab? I don't know if it was unnecessary, but I'm just stating the facts. The facts are the facts. It's January. You expect a January swoon from a Kevin Willard team. Am I wrong? Are you surprised they're one and three in the Big Ten? Sure, they should have been better than they were, but it's January. Things happen in January with a Kevin Willard team. We know that. Let's go around the Tri-State now and keep it in the Tri-State and begin with St. John's. 2-0 after wins over Butler and Villanova last week. They won at the Finneran Pavilion, as I said, first time in 31 years. But let, let's, let's also add in there that they did also win in Philadelphia uh, at what was once known as the Wells Fargo Center. So they do have a couple of wins in there since 1993, but not in that building. But what was impressive about this was that St. John's won from wire to wire. They played defense. And this team is finally starting to defend like the way that Rick Patino wants them to defend. And he went out of his way again in his press conference to say, I recruited a bunch of offensive players and I'm trying to make them into defensive players. Well, St. John's held Nova under 40%. They shot 39% from the field, 21% from three. It began with defense. The Johnnies led from wire to wire. They scored the first 10 points in this one and never looked back. Big couple of days for Dennis Jenkins. He averaged 17 and a half points and six assists in those two wins. And as he's brought his game up, St. John's has brought their game up. There's no question about it. He is the straw that, sir, that stirs the drink. But it's a collective team effort. We saw Chris Ledlam have to go down again. He's still dealing with that foot injury. RJ Luis is still dealing with shin splints, and you know how, how much that hurts. So Rick Patino said he wanted to put Luis in the starting lineup. Instead, he went with the freshman who was coming off a career-high 13 points against Butler, and all Brady Dunlap did was score 15 points. He was three for five from three. He played a career-high 31 minutes. He rewarded his coach. Late in the game, Villanova was making a little bit of a run, and it was Dunlap who hit the three in the corner and said, good night, bye-bye, Wildcats. You can take your NIL money and put it back in you-know-where. St. John's is coming together. St. John's is unifying as a team, offensively and defensively. You're going to continue to get steady play out of Joel Soriano. 20 points, eight rebounds. Afterward, Patino said, hey, Joel is just so much fun to coach. It's all about winning for Joel. It's never about him. Those are Patino's words. He just wants to win. So when St. John's is playing defense like this and hitting threes and getting contributions from all over, nice to see Glenn Taylor come back after he was had a DNP coach's decision against Butler, came back, was getting to the hoop, was aggressive. You don't know what's going to happen with St. John's when your number is going to be called. We know Jenkins and Soriano, it begins with those two. But after that, Patino has, has not been afraid to either bench guys or start different guys or have different lineups. We've seen that. 
So you don't know when your number is going to be called. We just know that you need to answer the call. So St. John's is now 11 and four. They're three and one in the Big East in a four-way tie at the top. UConn, Seton Hall, St. John's, and Villanova, all three and one at the top of the standings, just the way we thought it would be in the beginning of the year. The Johnnies host Providence. We know Providence is playing without Bryce Hopkins, who's done for the season, unfortunately, with a torn ACL. St. John's has to beat a wounded team like this. It's their building. They need a big crowd. Protect home court. Win at the Garden against a team that you will be favored by and that you're better than right now. Keep it rolling. That's the goal for St. John's. All right, they're also right up there with UConn, as I said. UConn went 2-0 this week as well. They ended the week with a gritty road win at Butler. I mean, this, this was a tale of two halves. I don't think UConn played poorly in the first half on offense. They, they shot 48%. They scored 35 points. It was on defense. I just think they were disconnected. Uh, Butler took it to them. Butler shot well from the outside, and, and Butler's a very good offensive team. They're not a good defensive team, that's for sure. Dan Hurley changed this team. Whatever he said at halftime worked because UConn played with more heart, more desire. They had the grit, the tenacity, and they caught fire. They shot 63% in the second half. Alex Caravan was a force. I mean, he hit three threes, one after another. He had 15 of his 20 points after halftime before fouling out late in that game with a couple of minutes to play. He was the catalyst. He was the reason why UConn was able to come back in the second half from a seven-point deficit and take the lead and win this game. It was just the second time all season that UConn had been trailing at the half and came back to win, but he wasn't alone. Hats off to the freshman, Stefan Castle. He is, listen, he has accepted his role. He doesn't have to be the star in this team. He will likely end up being the highest draft pick on this team, a lottery pick when he comes out. He doesn't have to be the star, but we can see the star potential in him. And for his efforts this week, he was named Big East Freshman of the Week for the third time. Last year, we saw Alex Caravan should have been Big East Freshman of the Year, and that was taken away from him. But Stefan Castle right now is the leader in the clubhouse with three Big East Freshman of the Week. He hit a three in the second half. It was contagious. Shooting is contagious. And when you're missing, oh man. I mean, it seems like everyone is forcing it and everyone is missing it and the, and the rim gets tighter. But in this second half, if it wasn't Caravan hitting a three, it was Newton, it was Castle, it was Cam Spencer. Castle doesn't hit many of them, but he hit one in this game that was big. And then... The biggest play in this game came with about a minute to play. UConn had taken the lead. They had taken control of the game, but they, they couldn't put Butler away. And the Bulldogs had pulled back to within four. And UConn has the ball late in the shot clock. I believe it was Diarra. And out of nowhere, Cam Spencer comes flying in, grabs the rebound, and his toes are tiptoeing the end line. And before he falls out of bounds, he calls timeout. Grab the rebound, immediately called timeout with his toes on the, on the end line and gets the timeout. If he doesn't grab that rebound, Butler has a chance to cut it to two or one with just under a minute to go. And it's a totally different game. Now, UConn has a time to set up their play coming out of the timeout. Spencer gets the ball in the wing. Hump fakes his man into the air, takes one dribble to his left, step back three, ball game over. And of course, like only Cam Spencer can, 
immediately looks to the crowd and shushes them. He loves being the villain, Cam Spencer. He loves the role of the villain. You want him on your team, but man, when he does that, you love to hate him. He wears that role, plays that role very well. So Spencer makes the big play of the game in crunch time. And afterward, Alex Caravan, who was on the bench, he had followed out at the time, called it the biggest shot he's seen. Listen, I'm not going to dispute that. It was a big shot. It wasn't a buzzer beater. But it was a big moment in the game when UConn needed a play from a veteran. And it certainly sealed the deal for UConn. So let Alex Caravan called it the biggest shot he's seen. It was the biggest shot in the game. UConn was up seven with 45 seconds to play, and that was it. So now the Huskies are 8-0 all-time versus Butler, including in the NCAA tournament in the championship game, and they are 4-0 at Hinkle. Very impressive. Next two games at Xavier, which is tricky in the Cintas Center, and home to Georgetown. Win those two games and UConn will be five and one. And hopefully they will be at the point where they're getting Donovan Klingon back because that's about the time that they said that Donovan Klingon will hopefully be back as they get ready for Creighton next Wednesday. So that's what UConn is looking at this week. A tricky little trip to Xavier coming up. Meanwhile, what? has happened to Rutgers. We knew it was going to be a tough week at Ohio State, at Iowa, the toughest two-game week of their schedule. They were already 0-1 against Illinois, and Rutgers just fell apart against Ohio State, couldn't make shots down the stretch, came back from a double-digit deficit, lost that game. Then they had to regroup a couple of days later and play the highest scoring team in the Big Ten, and it wasn't close. Iowa wins it 86-77. Too much Ben Cricky, too much Peyton Sanford. I mean, look, if Rutgers scores 77 points in a game, they should win. History says under Steve Peichel, Rutgers wins. But they were never in this game from the opening tip. They couldn't have started any worse. I think the game was 2-2 after Mawat Mag tied it early. But Rutgers missed 14 of their first 15 shots. They're behind 19-5, eight minutes in. Now look, it's not game over. There's still 32 minutes left, but the way things have gone for Rutgers, you should have just stopped the game right there. They were horrendous. They were missing layups. They were turning the ball over. Five missed layups and five turnovers in the first eight minutes of this game. And it was everyone. Simpson missing layups. Fernandes, Amori, Griffiths. Nobody could hit a shot. And they didn't take care of the basketball. Every time you looked up, Iowa had a steal and they were turning it into points. It was bad. And at one point in the first half, Ben Cricky hit a three-point play and Rutgers was down 16 with four minutes to go. Now, to their credit, they did make a run and they cut that 16-point lead down to seven at the half. Mawat Mag hit two threes in the final 20 seconds of the half, including a buzzer beater, and Rutgers did have a little momentum going into halftime as they cut it to seven. But again, they couldn't get stops and they couldn't make shots, no matter what Mawat Mag did. And he had a brilliant game. Mag scored 24 points in this game, a season high for him. He did everything he could to keep Rutgers in this game. But there just wasn't enough. All right, we saw the return of Jermichael Davis after he had missed the last couple of games with an injury, and he did everything he could off the bench. But, you know, when Cliff Amore isn't doing it inside, 
uh, and they're not getting him the ball. It's clear every time he touched the ball, I was doubling down. I was doubling down. It leaves open shooters. Derek Simpson has to make a shot. Gavin Griffiths has to make a shot. As I said, Mawat Mag hit some shots. He was three for six from three and finished with 24 points, but that's not what you, when you, you don't expect Mawat Mag to score 24 points. You need your other scorers to score. And collectively, no one is teaming up for Rutgers. You can't keep digging yourself a double-digit hole and expect to come back. It has to happen from the beginning. You heard my interview, I hope, with Jaden Bediaco, and he talked about how Seton Hall kept on getting punched in the face and other teams were getting out to big starts against them. And they've been able to rectify it, and they have been the ones in certain games who have gotten off to big starts. I get it. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. But when the trend continues to happen and you continue to dig yourself a double-digit deficit, it wears on you, man. They're human. And Rutgers is just not built to come from behind unless they're turning you over and getting you into transition. They have to stop the bleeding now. Indiana is coming in. Indiana came off a big win at home against Ohio State. In case you missed that, it happened late Saturday night. Rutgers could not beat Ohio State on the road, but Indiana beats Ohio State at home. Rutgers has had its number against Indiana. They have had the Hoosiers number. Rutgers fans know the stats. Rutgers has won six out of seven, eight out of 10. They own the Hoosiers over the last six years. They're coming to Jersey Mike's Arena. If there's any cure for Rutgers, it's some home cooking at Jersey Mike's. The fans will be loud. Rutgers needs to start that game early. Don't let Indiana take you out of the game and take the crowd out of the game. Don't build an early deficit. And man, make some shots. I'm sure they've been working on their shots. I'm sure they've been working on their layups. If Rutgers can't beat Indiana at home, you can write this season off right now because they are not climbing out of this hole, not in the Big Ten. It's not a must win, but it's getting late very early for Rutgers if they don't win this game. Darkness will settle in on Piscataway before you know it. Because right now, that sun is dipping below the horizon and it's about to set. At least stop the bleeding and get a win. That's what Rutgers needs right now. One team who can't lose is Fairfield. The Stags have won eight straight games, one of the hottest teams in the country. For the record, it's their longest winning streak since 2011 when they won 11 straight. This is a team that was one and six in non-con, and they have won eight straight games. Proof, Rutgers fans, that teams can turn it around. What a job by interim coach Chris Casey. All right, this team is buying in. I've talked about them all year. They got huge career performances in back-to-back games. They are averaging during this streak 80 points a game. They're averaging nine three-pointers a game. They're playing defense. They're doing it at both ends of the court. And when you have a guy who comes off the bench against Siena like Bryson Goodine did, and he drops 40 points off the bench, you know things are going your way. All right? Bryson Goodine off the bench goes for 40. Just the fourth 40-point performance by a Stags player in their history and just the third this season in the country. So they route Siena by 24 points and then they turn around and wallop a very good unbeaten Marist team. They were unbeaten in conference play and tied with St. Peter's and they hand St. And they hand Maris their first conference loss and beat them by 21. 
And it was Caleb Fields who goes for a career-high 33. He also hit 10 threes, and that tied the record for most threes in a game by a Fairfield player. So just to recap, Fairfield wins by 24 over Siena. Bryson Goodine drops 40. And then Fairfield wins by 21 over Marist. And Caleb Fields drops 33. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, every Monday, I have my Tri-State Players of the Week. And you can only fit so many characters on Twitter, as you know. So I, I limit it to five players. And, and publicly, I want to I say I messed up. I was so excited to hear what Caleb Fields had done with his 33-point performance. I put Fields in my top performers in the Tri-State, along with Kaderi Richmond, along with Alex Caravan, along with Corey Washington from St. Peter's, who dropped 24 as the Peacocks won two games this week. And I put Fields in there, and a couple of people, including Fairfield Frank, came at me and said, hey, thanks for the love for Caleb, but you forgot. What about Bryson Goodine, who dropped 40? So I just want to say I should have had Goodine in there. I'm not going to delete the tweet. If I had to do it all over again, Goodine would be in there. But, I mean, man, I couldn't find room for both. Dennis Jenkins had a huge week as well. I could have put 10 players out there. But my bad. Goodine should have been out there. But, but you know, at this point, I'm sure it doesn't matter to the Stags who gets their little player of the week nomination from me on Twitter when they're winning eight games in a row. So can they get to 10? It's going to be a tough chore. It's the dreaded Western New England Buffalo trip coming up to Niagara and Canisius. And don't take Niagara for granted. Did you see what happened to Iona? Iona was struggling to knock off Niagara. They couldn't shake him. And then Greg Gordon puts Iona up one, gives the Gales the lead on a layup with six seconds left. Niagara comes down, inbounds the ball. Braxton Bayless finds himself wide open on the wing with about three seconds left and launches a three and buries it with about a second to play. Broke the Gales' heart. Niagara wins it by two. Iona is reeling. They lose to St. Peter's and then to Niagara. Tough times for the Gales. The defending champs are reeling. They need to lick their wounds and regroup and try to get something going this season under Tobin Anderson. So don't take Niagara for, for granted. Give that team some props. That is who Fairfield is facing. And then Canisius. The Stags are rolling under Chris Casey. Good for him and good for Fairfield. Is it time, by the way? Is it time to remove the interim label from Chris Casey? Why not? Why not? What are you waiting for? Remove it, make him the head coach, and let's go. All right, I mentioned St. Peter's there briefly. They are the only unbeaten team remaining in MAC play. They are 4-0. All they do is keep winning. Bashir Mason has it going. And the Peacocks have everybody trailing and chasing them at 4-0. So good for them. And how about Princeton? Last but not least, in the Tri-State, they open Ivy League play with a decisive win over Harvard. 89-58. The game was never close. A career night for Xavier Lee, who set career highs with 33 points and a career high of seven assists and a career high of five made three-pointers. He also had seven rebounds. So Xavier Lee was named Ivy League Player of the Week for the second time this season. I mean, that's three for Caden Pierce, two for Xavier Lee, and one for Matalaco. Princeton is just racking up the awards this year. They sit in first place, 1-0, 13-1 in the Ivy League. 
just a dominant performance. Pierce had a double-double with 19 points and 10 rebounds. This team just, they play great basketball. They believe in themselves. They trust the system under Mitch Henderson. They have Dartmouth coming up at the Jadwin. They should win that game and move to 2-0 in Ivy League play. Good for the Tigers. So, look, my wish for the new year, if you remember and if you listen, I'm hoping for five teams from the Tri-State to get in the NCAA tournament. UConn's looking like a lock. They are a lock. St. John's creeping up. They're in the picture. Seton Hall is in the picture. Providence. Princeton is certainly in the picture. They are the odds-on favorite in the Ivy League. Yeah, Fairfield Cookins, St. Peter's. Hopefully one of those two teams gets in. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Somehow, some way. Remember that number. Five teams from the Tri-State. We shall see. All right, before we go, I want to thank our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers.com. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite team, check out my guy, Bob Germano. I ran into him at the Seton Hall Marquette game. Germ is uh, a loyal Seton Hall fan, and he's also one of the top-notch youth softball coaches and directors in all of New Jersey. It's not about a number when it comes to Bob Germano. He cares about the player. He cares about the person. It's a family with NorthJerseyVipers.com, and I mean that. Check them out, North Jersey Vipers Softball. All right, my thanks to them. My thanks to you. Continue to spread the word. Continue to download us and listen to us and share it with your friends. I thank you for listening, as always. My name is Brian Dinavellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.